Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to the primary industry. Working with the Rural Support Trust, each week I talk with farmers and growers, industry professionals and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on industry-related matters both relevant to our rural and our urban communities. This week I'm taking a look back at an interview I did last year and it was talking to Dr Adam Forbes, a senior ecologist and someone who I consider to be the leader in their field. He understands the importance and the benefit of our farmers to New Zealand, both from a social and an economic perspective, and of course he understands the importance of the preservation of our ecosystems and how they can work hand in hand. Have a listen to the interview, as it is very much relevant today, and his work is very important to New Zealand's farming future. Hello Adam, thank you for talking with me today. Hi there Angus, yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Please tell me a bit about the work that you do. Well, I'm a forest ecologist and I specialise in the restoration of native forest ecosystems. So mainly I work with landowners and government agencies developing strategies to restore forest cover. Um, I could bring my science background and experiences to the table to help people with their forest restoration projects. So for instance, uh, recently I was out with a landowner that had just harvested 50 hectares of radiata pine and they were wanting to establish native forest and so I'm able to kind of guide them through that process and give them an idea of what issues they might need to be thinking about. Um, I do a lot of work with farmers and anybody wanting to retire land, like taking it out of the productive farming system and transitioning it to native forest. Um, it's not a particularly straightforward exercise. So um, again, I can bring my expertise as a forest ecologist and really try and clarify that that process for them and um, try and guarantee as much success as possible. Um, also over the last nine months I've held the position as the Restoration Ambassador for the New Zealand School of Forestry in Te Rurakao, which is Forestry New Zealand. So this has been a, a real privilege, a really great position um, of being able to help landowners develop really strong native vegetation proposals for funding through the One Billion Trees Grant Scheme. Um, it's taken me from far north district to Christchurch so far. Um, it's been a real eye-opener. There's really high levels of interest in establishing native forest and at the same time I've also seen an even bigger need for really good restoration advice like um, there needs to be a number of ambassadors out there helping people. Um, another project example is the Postquake Farming Project in North Canterbury where I've been working with the landowners looking at issues and opportunities for native forest estate in North Canterbury. Yeah, so my work's um, really focusing on helping people achieve their forest restoration objectives. Um, it's a really exciting thing to be helping people with. For listeners out there who may have missed previous episodes, what is biodiversity? Okay, well, biodiversity describes the variety and variability of life in a given area. And we tend to look at it at different levels. So at a very fine scale, we've got genetic diversity. Um, then stepping up, we've got species diversity and then even greater scales we've got ecosystem diversity. So biodiversity is useful when thinking about forest restoration for example. Um, so like an example of the genetic level of biodiversity and forest restoration is this concept of eco-sourcing that we talk about. So that's simply sourcing seed nearby to where we're planting and that way we can you know in theory we carry through local variability and traits that make local populations unique better suited to local conditions. Um, at a species level, we can look at, a, at the number of species in forest areas. We can compare 
that against the species level biodiversity and very intact systems. And this helps us to determine what management interventions are necessary or basically how intact a system is. And then we can step it right up and look at um, biodiversity at an ecosystem level. We, today we have a very good idea of what New Zealand's pre-human land cover extent was. So we can um, compare that against the extent of remaining ecosystems and prioritise management. Um, an example that strikes me for this is in the Horizons region in, in the North Island, um, alluvial Kakatea Pukatea forest is a forest type that's uh, adapted to alluvial surfaces. Uh, less than 2.5% of that forest type remains. So straight away, we can use that ecosystem level biodiversity knowledge to prioritise that ecosystem type for restoration. So overall, the concept of biodiversity provides a basis for understanding levels of health and importance and setting targets for management accordingly. In your experience, are farmers more aware of the importance of increasing their farm's biodiversity? I think for a long time there have been good levels of awareness by farmers over improving biodiversity. I don't think it's necessarily a new thing um, or necessarily a new trend. In my experience, farmers have very good observational skills and they're very aware of what's on their land. And also, they, a large number of them tend to have strong interests in native biodiversity. I also think, unless you're connected with the farming community, their level of awareness can be difficult to gauge. It's something I found when I was just starting to work a lot with farmers. It was an eye-opening experience as to actually how much um, good stuff farmers are already doing. So. I think to help this, the farming sector needs to be bolder about telling their good biodiversity stories. There's a lot they could be talking about. Um, and I think this will help wider society understand the crucial role that farmers are currently playing in maintaining biodiversity. Um, I think that one of the main drivers for farmers to think about their native biodiversity is coming from government's regulations at the moment, like the draft NPS on biodiversity. And that's not always a positive playing field for farmers to be engaging with biodiversity issues on. So the work I've been doing with the post-quake farming and the restoration ambassador roles, I think they're important because it's an opportunity to get alongside farmers, you know, away from, um, you know, independent of the strict regulatory requirements and, and work with them to improve biodiversity. So I think there needs to be a lot more of that sort of work um, going on. And I guess as a final comment, um, I've just seen overwhelming interest in improved forest biodiversity in the work I've been doing. There's no question over the level of interest. I think the issue is getting the right advice and financial support out to farmers to support them in their biodiversity projects. What should a farmer be considering if he or she is considering retiring land for a native forest? Well, what I always kind of start with with people is um, have a good think about what you're wanting to get from your forest. Um, you know, is your driver economic? Is it about uh, an income stream from carbon or honey or timber? Is it about soil stabilisation? Or is it about leaving a legacy for future generations in terms of establishing permanent native forests? So I think get that objective clear and then it'll become clearer what to do next. Um, so for example, if the objective is simply to stabilise soil erosion issues on your farm, then you're probably really, you know, you could probably get away with a simple forest composition, maybe Manuka Kanuka, and it's probably quite adequate to meet your objective. But if you were really wanting to set up a neat patch of forest for your kids and your grandchildren, well, that's not really going to meet your objective. So getting clear on that's good. As part of this, look around for support too. Um, for example, the One Billion Trees Fund, 
and there's a local um, erosion control fund through ECAN, the SCAR fund in North Canterbury. So see what, see what you can leverage from those funds as well. Then you need to think carefully about the site. Um, climate is crucial for forests. Think about what your rainfall is and what your temperature is. Those are critical variables and it helps frame which species and ecosystems you'll be working with and what management might be needed. Look around the landscape and look for seed sources. Are they close? You know, where are they? And what species are in them? Are they actually the species you want? Um, are they old growth species in those seed sources, for instance? Also consider the dispersal modes, like how are these tree species that you're wanting to establish, how do they actually move around the landscape? Do they use wind, gravity, or are they dependent on birds? A lot of our forest species need healthy bird populations to spread across the landscape. So you, part of your forest restoration strategy for reversion might be actually be about helping the bird population locally. Um, yeah, and so getting a handle on these sorts of topics helps you determine how active you're going to be, how much planting you're going to do versus how much you can rely on natural regeneration. Then you've got things like um, fencing to consider, um, the cost and the standard of that. You need to exclude stock, but you also need to think about the potential of um, excluding feral herbivores like goats and deer. They can have quite a devastating effect if they're not managed. Um, also think about the scale of the control of those things. Um, you need to match the scale of the control with the range of those animals. So deer tend to range over big distances. So think about teaming up with your neighbours on this to achieve levels of control necessary to actually benefit forest ecosystems. Um, get a clear picture of which pests you actually need to manage. Um, think about supplementary planting into the revision area, like reintroducing lost seed sources by low diversity enrichment planting with old growth species. And lastly, think about doing some basic monitoring. So track your progress, um, something simple like photo point monitoring, where you can take photos at a given fence post in the same direction um, year after year. It helps with management decisions, it helps document progress, and it helps you to tell the good story. What process does a farmer go through to register an existing native forest into the emissions trading scheme? Yeah, well, this is a bit of a specialist area. What I'd suggest as a starting point for farmers is to determine, you know, is to determine which areas of the land are eligible to register in the ETS. If you, if the farmer can get an idea of the scale of eligibility open to them, then they'll have a clearer picture how seriously to take it and how much to invest in actually going through the process. Um, a key criteria to be met is the status of land according to MPI's definition of forest land. Um, so as a good starting point, look up aerial photos from around the 1990 period and see at that time what extent the land featured tree cover. So that's a really good thing to do. Um, and if the land looked relatively free of trees at 1990, then I suggest seek some expert advice and figure out what the next steps are from there. The benefit of an exotic forest like Pinus radiata to a farmer is obvious. Other than the emissions trading scheme, are there other incentives for the farmer to plant native forests? Yeah, look, I think there are a number of other incentives for farmers to be establishing native forest. Um, you know, a, an obvious one is improving biodiversity. Just by increasing native forest area, we can bring more nature into everyday lives, such as Valberta kereru, um, the New Zealand pigeon. 
um, there can be benefits in returning highly depleted wetland ecosystems, for example, such as Kākatea Swamp Forest. Um, there can be amenity and visual appeal. I'm seeing this as a high priority with many people. You know, they're really keen to bring back native species into their farms. Um, it adds a lot of interest value for them. Um, the land can be stabilised. Um, you know, eroding faces can be addressed through native revegetation. Um, if the planting is riparian, well, um, you could potentially reduce your bank erosion and increase water quality. Um, and there are also income streams to think about too. Um, in addition to the ETS, um, you know, potentially timber if you're if you're serious about growing trees for that purpose, um, honey or tourism. You know, I've been on farms where forest restoration is a key management action. Um, for farm for farms gearing up seriously to provide like overnight um, accommodation and uh, horse trekking, for instance. So um, by by creating a nice forested environment, they're kind of um, boosting their tourism potential. I'd just like to touch on pest control in our forests. There's a lot of misinformation out there. What is the current science telling us our best method or methods is to eradicate pests? Yeah, look, I've got a slightly different view on this. Um, you know, while the science of pest eradication is important, if any control method is to be successful in our working landscapes, there's an equally important dimension to animal pests and forests that we need to tackle. And as important to getting the science solution right as getting the social situation right, that social solution. So, for example, um, you know, one that I, one issue that I'm really coming up against a lot is the feral deer issue, feral deer populations on our lowland landscapes. Farmers tell me across the country really that by all accounts deer numbers are increasing. Um, at certain levels deer have a devastating effect on forest species and this impacts biodiversity and forest biomass. At the same time though, and this is where the social, this is where it gets really interesting I think, many people value hunting and you know they view feral deer population as a prized resource um, and I think that we can't ignore that we need to um, if we're going to have healthy forests we need to tackle this head on um, and like I say I don't think it's actually a science problem I think it's a social problem so there's this basic conflict I see uh, which is social rather than scientific in nature and I think, you know, how we respond to this conflict is important for how New Zealand as a nation tackles climate change. Um, if our forests are being eaten out by feral deer and recruitment of canopy trees is not occurring, then over time our native forest estate will gradually collapse. So, you know, it's not only bad from the point of view of losing forests, but also because the carbon stored in forests will be released as atmospheric carbon. And this will undo the benefits of carbon sinks that are currently being established around the country. You know, the government's really promoting tree planting to help address climate change. But unless we get this right, this kind of social dimension correct, um, we're going to be losing carbon um, sort of like behind us when we're not looking. So um, I just think we need to look really closely at the social side of this forest health issue and getting the right amount of feral herbivore control in particular. I think that's the key balance. And I think it's important as uh, I think it's as important as the science technology side. Farmers need to be profitable, and they also need to take responsibility in their conservation and biodiversity. Do you think policymakers understand the need to get the balance right in this area? Look, I think there's definitely room for improvement. Um, you know, the example that comes to mind is the level and types of funding and support available to landowners for forest restoration. You know, there's the 
the government's One Billion Trees grants, um, which are great. You know, it's I'm, I'm really pleased that there, there's financial supports available, but I think the, the structure could be better. Um, there's largely a focus on tree planting. And if you take North Canterbury's Hill Country as an example, um, to effectively restore native forest on large scales in that landscape, what policy needs to provide most, in my view, uh, ec economic incentives to support land retirement, so to help farmers make that decision to put the land aside to remove it from their you know, productive estate. Um, perhaps that could be done by opening up more options for ETS registration so that those areas of regeneration provide a, a meaningful income stream um, and even old forests could provide income stream or perhaps providing rates relief on retired land. Um, I think funding you know, in these landscapes is, needs to go not towards tree planting per se, but quality deer fencing, um, which on hill country isn't cheap and it's often not the first choice. It often isn't done. Uh, it's just, you know, it doesn't stack up without support. Um, landscape scale deer and goat control and supplementary planting only, like low density planting to reintroduce lost seed sources. So what I'm saying here is, um, you know, it's not simply tree planting that needs to happen. And I think the policy would be better to actually target the actual needs of forest restoration and the needs of farmers to enable it. Um, I think another aspect, um, farmers, sort of just as a closing topic really, farmers tend to be quite humble about what they are actually managing to achieve or trying to tackle in terms of managing biodiversity on the land. You know, I've been time and time again, I'm quite surprised with how much individual farmers are doing and how vested in it they are. Um, I think while this humbleness is a great quality, I just think the rural community needs to find ways to really show off what they're already doing. Um, I've seen myself, these existing efforts are widely underappreciated by those who aren't familiar with the rural sector. So I really feel this is something the rural sector needs to work on. I will be talking with Dr Adam Forbes again in the coming weeks as his work continues to help our farmers and not shut the gate on them. Farmers, I know the pressure is mounting on you currently, and if you are feeling the pressure is getting too much, there are people and organisations that can help. A great place to start is the Rural Support Trust. They have coordinators in your area, and they are willing and able to help. 0800 787 254 is their number. If you know of someone struggling out there, give them a call, check in, because it could make all the difference. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factum Agri.